Psalm 46, which can be found on page 570 in the Church Bibles. Psalm 46, and Iwin's going to come to the front and read to us. Thank you, Iwin. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Thank you, Stephen, and uh, good afternoon to you all. I don't know whether the dear folk from uh, Crawley, who weren't here, are here, um, but I think we need to pray for them. It's a long journey, and uh, it's not been easy to get here for them. I do want to say, first of all, what a, a great privilege it is for me to be able to take part in the service here this afternoon, uh, for two reasons, really. Partly because um, I know the fellowship here, I've been with you before, and uh, it's been always a joy to come back here. Uh, but also because of my long and very special relationship and friendship with Colin and Chris. Over the years, we've worked together in a number of projects, both within and outside the context of FIEC, uh, and uh, we've known each other for many years, not being too far away from each other in Surrey and Sussex. And um, Are you Sussexing or are you Surrey? Sussex, yes, I thought so. Um, well, it's a joy to be here and a special privilege for me to be able to share in this service with you both. And then I do need to bring greetings from the fellowship at Hook Evangelical Church in Surbiton in Surrey, where I was the pastor for many years. I'm still in membership uh, with Rosie. And uh, I know that Paul Pease, the pastor, the elders, deacons, and members would want me to bring warm Christian greetings to you all. We stand with you in the faith of the triune God that we have just committed ourselves to. We stand with you in the authority of God's word, the inerrancy of God's word, and we stand with you in the unchanging gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, without whom there is no other way of salvation. And I do want to say that my purpose this afternoon is to take a text that will be very unfamiliar and uh, probably never used for an occasion like this. Uh, but I do so because this is a rather unusual occasion. Uh, and I, I therefore have chosen what I want to say very carefully and deliberately. This is, of course, the opportunity to welcome your pastor to a new charge. 
but I am very much aware that as a fellowship here at WEM, you have been through a hard time, and many of you may feel a little bruised this afternoon. So I want to encourage you. And I'm also aware, as you are all aware, that Colin and Chris and the whole family are going through a particularly difficult time, and our prayers are so much with dear Miriam at the, at the moment. And I want to encourage you as a family as well. And then the third thing is that this is hardly a young man entering his first ministry. And the usual perhaps charge to the minister and charge to the church, though I will say uh, something particularly tomorrow to us all as a fellowship here, uh, it may not be appropriate. I want us to move forward together under the hand of a sovereign providential God, even when the circumstances seem to be against us. Well, now, will you turn with me to that psalm that was read just a moment ago? Psalm number 46. And the verse I've chosen is one that I cannot imagine is new to anyone here. If you are a Christian of any length of time, sooner or later you will come across Psalm 46 and verse 10. You will use it for yourself. You undoubtedly have used it for others. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46, if you read it carefully and thoughtfully, is a psalm of clashing contrasts. One moment the, ro the, the reader is thrown every which way by mountains crashing and the turmoil of the sea. And the next moment, the reader is sitting quietly by soft flowing waters, by a gentle stream. If I read it again and put the emphasis where I believe it lies, you'll understand. You'll see that one moment it's pianissimo, very soft and gentle. The next it's fortissimo, very loud. And then we're back to pianissimo. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She'll not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's wrought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Isn't that exactly how we find life too often? One moment we're sitting by the soft, flowing waters and at peace, and the next moment the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea and our world is crashing around us. Like those dear folk in Italy who one moment were in the secure seclusion, warmth and peace of a hotel, and the next moment an avalanche devastates everything in their lives. Now, according to the title of this psalm, it's a song of the sons of Korah. Korah is listed in 1 Chronicles as one of the, uh, among the gatekeepers of the tabernacle and the temple. The Bible doesn't tell us that uh, he wrote the music or sang the songs, but apparently he was a singing gatekeeper. You don't have to be in a choir to sing the songs of God and to worship God in praise. According to the title of the Psalms, there are ten more that belong to Korah or his sons, and this is probably the best of them all. It's evident from the Psalm that Jerusalem has been under imminent danger, and it appears to have been rescued unexpectedly and remarkably by the intervention of God. And although we can't be certain, it will certainly fit the time when Jerusalem was rescued miraculously from the terrifying armies of Assyria in the time of Hezekiah in the year 701 BC. And the Assyrians had ravaged and decimated the land, destroying, according to Sennacherib's own records, 46 towns and villages and their surrounding territory right across Judea. And then Lachish, the second most important city, fell to the terrible siege of the Assyrian army and that leaves only Jerusalem standing. And in 2 Kings 19 and verse 35, we have the record of how the Assyrian army was poised to set a stranglehold on Jerusalem, when suddenly, if you know the biblical record, it was the army was destroyed by an unseen hand, and Sennacherib had to take the remnant of his army back home to Nineveh, where he was assassinated two years later, by two of his sons. And in preparation for that siege, King Hezekiah had ordered his engineers to channel the water from the Gihon Springs outside, through and under the city, to the Siloam Pool within the city. This guaranteed a supply of water for a city under siege, and as important, it denied water to the besieging army. That little stream of water, tunneled under the city, 49 meters down, winding 533 meters under the city, flowed in a gradient of 0.06%. No rushing water there. Gentle, soft-flowing, calm stream. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You can read this engineering feat, if you will, in Second Chronicles chapter 32, when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem. He consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. Well, he couldn't have done it on his own. A large force of men assembled, and they blocked all the springs and the streams that flowed through the land. In fact, if you wish, as some of you doubtless have done, you can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel today and you'll realize the value 
of the water that flows gently under the city. But whoever wrote it, and what it, for whatever reason, he clearly understood the traumatic events of life. And what is more, he knew how to quieten his heart in the midst of them. Many Christians, and you're some of them here, I'm sure, have to live in the fast lane of life. Some of you know that only too well. Uh, but even if you don't live there, you're carried along by it. We live by clocks. Some of our African friends tell us the difference between Africa and the West is, as they say, you live by clocks, we have time. And that's quite a good distinction between the two, as you'll very often notice when our black African friends arrive at church five minutes late. Some of those, who are, uh, some of those experiences are good and happy. Some are tragic and sad. But here in this psalm, as I've already indicated we're being tossed around by those experiences, from fortissimo to pianissimo, and we come to rest in the calmness of verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Facido, calm, still, quieten your heart. And in verse 2, we have the picture of a volcano spewing rock and lava into the sea causing it to foam and boil, an emotional tsunami, a catastrophic avalanche of events that crushes into his life. Have you been through that, any of you? Of course you have. If you haven't, you will. That's life. And then, in verse 4, there is a river, better rendered, Behold, a river. Calm yourself. Turn your attention to the one who is in control and quieten your spirit. And when the people went down to the pool of Shiloh or Siloam, uh, they were encouraged in the confidence that the Assyrians, even if they had brought a siege works against the city, which they didn't, even if they had, they would be deprived of water and they would not deprive the city of water. They would be reminded as they went down to the pool of Siloam that through the prophet Isaiah, God had promised that the Assyrians would not take Jerusalem, would not be build a siege ramp, and would not even cast an arrow into the city. They were secure. And even when bad things appear to triumph, God has always set a limit. Terrible things happened <clears throat> through the land of Judea. But at the gates of Jerusalem, at the gates of the center of God's people, God said, thus far and no further. This is as far as you go. Town after town, village after village had fallen to the Assyrian marauding hordes. But God set a limit. And as I say, at the gates of Jerusalem, God said, enough. And at the close, you may remember of Job's terrible experience uh, much earlier than this probably one of the oldest books in our Old Testament. When Job's whole world collapsed, and before things turned out well for him, before he read the end of his story, God encouraged Job with the reminder in Job 38 of the restless oceans that are in control of the Creator. And I love the expression at the end of that picture that says, this far you may come and no farther. Here, is where your proud waves 
halt. God was saying, I set the boundaries of the natural world. I set the boundaries of the spiritual world. I set the boundaries of your circumstantial world. Job, trust me. Behold a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God's provision for his people. Let me show you very simply from this psalm two things and a conclusion. First of all, verses 1 and verse 7, God is with us. How simple, how straightforward, how profound, how easily forgotten. An ever-present help in trouble, verse 1. The Lord Almighty is with us, verse 2. Of course he is. We've surely not forgotten his pledge before he left his disciples when Jesus said to them, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And God's promise to his people Israel, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And this word Lord that many of you are familiar with is the special covenant name for his chosen people. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of covenant promises. The God who pledges himself to you. And then just to underline it, he says, the Lord Almighty. I'm not only the one who makes promises. I make promises. You make promises. We can't always keep them. Sometimes circumstances run out of our control and when we said we would do something, we're incapable of doing it. Sometimes our memory fails and we don't do it. But it's the Lord Almighty who says he is with you. And he can never fail, never forget. He is always there. Of course he is. The Lord Almighty, I'm well able to keep my promises for you. A fine commentator on the Psalms, Professor Leopold, renders this phrase ever-present as well-proved. I like that. Again and again has well-proved himself faithful to his promises. It's not he who fails when things go wrong, but often only he who can put things right again. Listen to this. Genesis 26. Abraham just about to be sent out into the wilderness into an unknown future from a very highly sophisticated, civilized background. Get that, in Earl of the Chaldees. We know about them now. A highly intelligent, sophisticated background. Into the desert, not knowing where he was going. One thing he took with him was these words. I am with you. Genesis 31, Jacob, running away from Uncle Laban and heading into the, into the forces of brother Esau and afraid of both, terrified of both, one behind, one in front. And the word that took him there, I quote again, I am with you. Exodus 3 to Moses. Somehow he's got to prize do the impossible and prize Israel out of the clutches of Egypt. And the promise he takes with you, I will be with you. Deuteronomy 31 to Joshua, who has the task of taking over the leadership and the impossible task of taking the people into the promised land. And God again uses the same words to him in Judges uh, 
sorry, Deuteronomy 31, I will be with you. Gideon is told to take on the innumerable army of the, uh, of the people who are, are so many, the hordes of the Midianites, that you can't even count them. And God says to, to Gideon, I will be with you. And at the coronation of Solomon, as he leads the people as their king, taking over from the mighty David, some act to follow for him. I will be with you. Is that good enough for you? Who goes with you into your new future as a fellowship together? The same God, the same promises, the Lord Almighty. And when Isaiah, God is speaking through Isaiah to his people in Isaiah 43, he says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, of course, the people of God will at times be hurt, but they will never be destroyed. Isn't this what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4, when he wrote to the Corinthians and said, we're troubled on every side, but not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. These things can happen to us, but we will go forward. We are safe. We are secure. God is with us. And what was the message of the angels to Joseph, the husband of Mary? They will call him Emmanuel. You haven't forgotten the meaning of that word, have you? Emmanuel means God with us. And that's for us all. Colin, Chris, the elders, the deacons, the members at Wem Baptist Church. God is with you. Emmanuel is here. You go forward in courage together. Captain Headley Vickers was an officer in charge of the 97th Infantry Regiment in the Crimean War. It was a terrible war against Russia in which uh, more men died of disease than actually in battle. Hedley Vickers had been converted from an absolutely dissolute life. And he was now an exemplary officer caring for his soldiers. His fellow officers wrote of him, and I quote, Whilst he entered with all his heart into the interests and duties of a soldier, his lips and life held one unchanging story of a love for Christ. On one occasion, Hedley Vickers wrote home and told of a visit to one of his men who was dying in hospital. He said, I, d I don't think I've told you of Craney's happy death. Shortly before he breathed his last, he asked Dr. Twining to read Romans 8 to him. You know about Romans 8, don't you? Nothing can separate us. As he read, the dying man's breath became shorter and his face brighter. And as the last words fell upon his ear, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Craney said, thank you, sir. That will do. And he died. Now, please don't die on me, but will that not do for you? 
Is that not enough? You may have a racing heart or a confused mind. You may have emotions in a turmoil. Circumstances are against you. But listen, the Lord Almighty is with us. It was said once of Julius Caesar that he calmed his soldiers on a ship in a violent storm simply by standing among them and saying, Do not fear, Caesar is with you. <laughs> a tin pot soldier. My friends, the Lord Almighty is with you. And as you go forward together and as you long for the answers to the prayers that have just been offered that you may go forward with zeal and enthusiasm and evangelism together, united in love and fellowship, you do not go forth alone. The Lord Almighty is with you. But the second thing is, the Lord Almighty is in you. Verses 4 and 5. There is a, a, stre a stream river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. I picture that soft flowing water to the pool of Shiloh in Jerusalem, or as we read it, Siloam in the Gospel of John. And I see it there as a promise to them that as you watch the gentle flowing water and you benefit from it and you take in its refreshment, so God is in Jerusalem, so God is with you. And when Jesus promised, I and the Father will come to you and we will make our home with you, he meant that God the Father and God the Son in the person of God the Holy Spirit would come and live within, not just around, not just behind and before and behind and above and below, but within the people whom he calls his own. And in all the rush and turmoil of life around us, with all its hopes and fears, sadness and tears, the gentle presence of God's Holy Spirit within us will never break a bruised reed and will always lead us forward. While it's true that God, as I say, is always around us, behind us, within us, and we're glad to say that and often talk and think and rightly so like that, we need never to forget that he is within us by his Holy Spirit. And that is the meaning of the new birth. It's the Holy Spirit who sheds that peace abroad in our hearts that sometimes envelops us when we should otherwise be in a, in a turmoil. It's he who calms our spirit. It's he who moves our mind to think better things than Satan would want us to do. That's why Jesus in the great Feast of Tabernacles recorded in John 7 could stand up in front of everyone and say, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Not too many people understood that. So John, writing the gospel record, has to put in a kind of parenthesis and said, this he wrote because he was talking about the Holy Spirit. You didn't need that interpretation because you knew that that living water within is the Spirit of God. Remember, when Baptist Church, when you meet for prayer, when you meet for worship, when you meet for ministry, whether here or you're working and ministering among young or old or outside, 
when you meet for service or fellowship, make sure God is among you. You say, well, haven't you just told us that he is? Ah, but listen. You know as well as I do that it is possible for a church to so misbehave itself that God stands outside the door. That's Revelation chapter 3, Laodicea. A self-conceited, proud, boasting, rich, comfortable church that had no need for God. And so Jesus speaks to them as if he is outside the church saying, I would like to come in. You'll make sure he's always here. No bickering, squabbling, carelessness in attention to the word of God, you'll make sure the Spirit of God is always among you. And you won't be one of those that is closing the door to Christ and his church. Like me, you must often wonder how Christians in Muslim, Hindu, Sikh, Buddhist, atheistic majority countries can remain so calm and courageous when they suffer so much intimidation, cruelty, and torture. And this is the answer. God is not only with them, he's in them by his Holy Spirit. The thrill of Jesus Christ among, with, in his people. So the joy when you sing a hymn and it thrills you, that first hymn, tremendous one. And the last one will be, and all the others in between today. And your heart can be thrilled by the verse you sang. When you listen to the word of God read and simply reading the word of God, its power comes through to you. When you listen to a sermon being preached and maybe one phrase, one sentence, one small point or passage grabs hold of you and you go away with a song in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. Pray for that every time you come to listen to the word of God here. So that always, always, you will know that God is not only with us, but he is in us. God with us, God in us. And the conclusion? Well, that leads me to verse 10 where we began. Some, and no less than John Calvin among them, read verse 10 not as an exhortation to God's people, which is how we nearly always take it, we say to ourselves, be still and know that he is God. He, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. No, no, he says, it's not so much an exhortation to God's people to be still and remember that he is on the throne. It is a command to the nations and all those who are opposing God. If you like, to the circumstances of our lives to the arch enemy of the church of Jesus Christ, Satan. It's God saying, be still, shut up. I am God. And you will go no further than I allow. It is God telling our nation, with all its backsliding, with all its immorality, with all its moral maze, with all its legislation against the people of God, we need to remember our God is in control and our God says, be still, I am God. It may not always seem that way. We believe it always is that way. Of course, as you would imagine, quite typically, C.H. Spurgeon uh, gets it both ways. This is how he translates the, or paraphrases that verse. Hold off your hands, ye enemies. Sit down and wait in patience, ye believers. 
That's not bad. Perhaps if you take nothing else away this afternoon, you can take that with you. Hold off your hands, ye enemies. Sit down and wait in patience, ye believers. Of course there is here a message for both the enemies of God and the people of God. Be still and know that I am God. Our God specializes in making horrid things beautiful and turning ashes into gold and growing lovely flowers on heaps of disobedience. He did that with me. Hasn't he done it with you? That shows you what a specialist he is. It always is his work. Oh, how often he has forgiven us when we failed and then mended us and drawn us back and given us a sense of his presence. Our God is on the throne. He will be exalted. The occasional skirmish, I grant you, may belong to the devil, but the victory always and forever belongs to our God. And it's in that note of confidence that we go forward with God in control, with God in our hearts and our lives. Rosie and I were in a church recently that had been going through a particularly hard time, very discouraging. And in one of the prayer meetings, a dear Christian prayed so earnestly and concluded voicing his prayers, the devil push off. That was his phrase, push off. Well, as together you begin a new future together, and as we face a nation, a government, a society set against our Redeemer, as we face a media set against all the things we hold most precious and most real, as we face so many around us who are stubbornly resistant to the gospel, as you found this Christmas when you tried to invite people in and so few were interested, when we face such a vicious world outside, we can say not simply, devil push off, but Jesus come with us because without you we can do nothing. And maybe in your personal circumstances right now, that is exactly how you feel. The nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fail, but he will lift his voice and the earth melts. As one commentator expresses it, all that God needs to do is make a rumbling with his almighty voice of thunder and their titanic defiance becomes cowardice. The bonds of their confederations are broken and the strength they have put forth is destroyed. Our age-old devil will not win. He cannot. Jesus promised the gates of hell will not prevail against his people. We will go forward together, all of us here, in triumph. And that's exactly how Paul encouraged the, Christ the Christians at Corinth when he said, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal pr procession. I love his confidence there. He doesn't say, thanks be to God who from time to time, occasionally, maybe, perhaps, will lead us in triumphal procession. He says, who always, we are always moving forward. The church is always growing. We are always getting nearer to that glorious day when Christ will come again. Four and a half centuries ago, John Calvin wrote of this psalm, when things are so confused that the heavens, it seems, were, were to fall with a great violence, the earth to remove out of its place, 
the mountains to be torn from their very foundations. We nevertheless, wrote Calvin, continue to preserve and maintain calmness and tranquility of heart. That is our privilege. That's what we can enjoy. Oh yes, there are many things in our Christian life and faith that we don't understand. And some things, my friends, will remain a mystery to the end of time until Jesus comes again and then we'll not be interested in them anymore. But our unchangeable, reliable, ever-promise-keeping God is there and there is no other and he is good. We will not fear, verse 2. It doesn't mean we'll never be afraid, anxious, distraught even. But the, we, we will, need not ever fear being overwhelmed by our circumstances because God, who is on the throne, is with us and in us forever. We need to learn to be still, be quiet. Or someone has rendered verse 10, shut up and listen to God. Let God speak his promises to our ear and our mind. And when your best plans fail and your circumstances are against you and the worst happens, just remember this. At six o'clock in the evening of the 11th of March in the year 1812, a furious fire tore through the Baptist mission print shop in Serampore in India. A 20-foot wall of flame shot out into the air and raged out of control. By two in the morning, the fire had burnt itself out. And William Carey learned the terrible news that the fire had destroyed everything. So much had been lost. Carey's manuscripts, ten Bible translations, including all the Canarese New Testament. Carey's translation of the epic Ramayana, as well as his all but completed grammars and Sanskrit dictionary. Over a thousand reams of English paper had burned up. The lead fonts in Tamil, Chinese, Persian, Arabic, Nagaru, Telugu, Bengali, Burmese, Marathi, Punjabi, Oriya, Kashmir, 12 languages in all. The fonts had all melted in the heat. Apart from the monetary cost, days, months, weeks, years of work had been destroyed. After Carey returned from walking over the still smoldering ruins, he wrote in his diary, in one short evening the labors of years are consumed. The next day, Carey gathered the 60 strong workforce together and told them of their plan. Their plan was to move to new buildings and start again. A very few things had been salvaged, but a fresh start would be needed. Quitting was not an option. And he wrote home to Ryland, another leaf of the ways of providence, calling for the exercise of faith in him whose word, firm as the pillars of heaven, has decreed that all things work together for good to them that love God. Be strong, therefore, in the Lord. He will never forsake the work of his own hands. And the following Sunday, Caring preached a sermon from Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still. And know that I am God. By the end of July, they were printing again. And by April 1813, a little more than one year after the fire, 
they were actually printing in more languages than before. Wem, do I ever need to apply that for you? You can do that yourself. There is a great new future ahead under the leadership of Colin and Chris and your elders. You go forward with confidence in the God who is with you, who is in you, who will be exalted. Be still and know that he is God. Nothing, nothing can change that. Let's pray together. Almighty God, sovereign, almighty, gracious, purposeful, and our Father because of Christ, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our brother, friend, and Savior. And we ask you, Lord, that as we begin, as it were, a new future, you will give us the courage to go forward together the enthusiasm and joy to go forward together, and the peace among ourselves to go forward together. And Father, right now at this time, as Colin and Chris and the family, and we with them, long for the full recovery of dear Miriam, we pray, Lord, that you will be with them, in them, around them, guarding and keeping them, and very close to Miriam that the hand of beautiful healing will be upon her, that skill will, will be given to those who tend her, that right now as we pray for her, this very moment, her heart and mind will be filled with the peace and the love of God, which you alone can give. And Father, we pray that today, with all the sadness that bring, takes the edge of a beautiful day, a wonderful day, will nevertheless be a day we shall long remember, when the fellowship here went forward to a brand new future and saw you do things that we never imagined you could do and always only for the glory of your name. Lord, we are still in your presence. Will you be exalted amongst us? Amen. <laughs>